My name is Ea Susanna Akasha. I'm a technical advisor on mental health and psychosocial support for the IFRC Reference Center for Psychosocial Support. And you're listening to The Heartbeat of Humanity, a podcast series for staff and volunteers in the Red Cross and Red Crescent movement working with mental health and psychosocial support. In this episode with Pablo Suarez, who's from the Climate Center, we will talk about climate change and mental health and psychosocial support, the the importance of both and how we can collaborate to support one another in our endeavors to ensure better climate and better mental health for all. So many people ask themselves, what can they do whenever they feel climate anxiety? What you can do is actually do an exercise on kindness. The reason being that kindness and stress, they're opposites. So think about what you can do today, what you can do to others, what you can do to the planet um, that will show kindness. Whenever you go through the day, you can think about kind actions that you can do towards yourself, others, and the planet that would be responsible in the way that they would be good for the planet and for the climate. Use this exercise whenever you feel worried because you need to have all your wits about you to do something to support a better climate for all of us. So welcome, Pablo. You have a very um, impressive title. You're the Associate Director for Research and Innovation at the Red Cross Red Crescent Climate Center. Could you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks so much for the invitation to be here. So I'm Pablo. I'm from Argentina. I used to be a full-time mathematics geek. I became a researcher on climate and disasters. And since the late 90s, I've been understanding how things are changing, how we know they can change, whether it's tomorrow's hurricane or long-term sea level rise, and what we can do about it. There are decisions we can make with what we know. Uh, in that context, I was fortunate to become a humanitarian worker. About, what, 17 years ago, I joined the Red Cross Red Crescent Climate Center. And so what I have been doing is to help integrate everything from climate science to innovative technologies to collaboration with uh, creative types like artists and designers, mostly to help people understand and address how to deal with what we know is likely to happen, even if we don't know everything, we may know enough to make a difference. Uh, I'm very, very impressed at the work that the Center for Psychosocial Support has been doing, helping people coexist with difficult realities. And that's where I and my team and many of our colleagues find themselves when we look to the future in the eye and see how dangerous it's getting. So thank you for your service and for this invitation. Yeah, and maybe tell us our listeners a bit more about the Climate Center and the work that you do. So what is it that you do research in and, and what is it that you, you, what kind of programs do you do? Yes, of course. So uh, about two decades ago, the global humanitarian family of the Red Cross became aware that the climate was changing and it wasn't only an environmental issue. It wasn't only a problem for future polar bears. It was beginning to become noticeable in how rainfall was changing, for example, and how farmers were succeeding or more often than before failing with their harvest because the timing of rainfall was seemingly getting more erratic. So 
with support in the very beginning from the Netherlands Red Cross, this team was founded. The Red Cross Red Crescent Climate Center is a reference center that supports the entire movement, the Federation, the National Societies, the ICRC, supporting areas in conflict. And what we do is to help both humanitarian practitioners and our partners. It could be governments, it could be the UN system, it could be donors, it could be scientists, it could be private sector. We help understand and address the humanitarian consequences of everything involving climate risks. Of course, climate change is very prominent in our work, but even without climate change, we know that there would eventually be uh, diseases emerging from too much rain or too little rain. There may be El Nino affecting food security. There may be strong winds or extreme low or high temperatures. So we help to connect science, policy, humanitarian practice, and a lot of my contribution, innovation. And why do you think that mental health and psychosocial support humanitarians should take an interest in climate change? Well, there are fundamentally two ways in which we really, really need uh, to see your work, the work of mental health and psychosocial support, engaging on the climate front. On one hand, very simply, our humanitarian teams cannot keep up with the workload. It is enormously demanding. It is increasingly depressing to see the burden, the workload. It was 2005 when I first became keenly aware of this, when uh, the head of a national society was telling me that they had just been hit by a tropical cyclone in the north of their country. Another tropical cyclone was about to hit the south, and there was yet another third tropical cyclone forming that was likely to hit the center in a week or less. There was no way that the disaster responders, the administrators, the senior leadership could keep up with this burden. And of course, it's not just the workload, it's also the emotional drain. Mm. It's the, the, the awareness that if, if I cannot do what needs to be done, maybe I should drop my job and, and join my uncle's shop and go behind the counter and have a peaceful life. The changing climate is placing such an emotional, cognitive and uh, physical burden on humanitarian practitioners and our partners that we need to understand how to deal with this. Everything from uh, tools for relaxation to noticing how to help others and self when things are about to change. That's one side. How do we care for those who need to work more? An additional angle that needs attention is the fact that because the climate is changing, there are changes in the demand for psychosocial support services. We know there's abundant evidence that, for example, uh, there are uh, peaks in suicide when extreme conditions happen, whether it is when crops fail and uh, people who are used to providing for their family can no longer do so, uh, all the way to uh, instances of depression and suffering and physical violence, which is often associated with scarcity. So we know that in a changing climate, mental health and essentially decomposition of the sense of self is more likely when everything is deteriorating around you. So we need mental health practitioners, including teams at the National Society level and beyond, 
to notice what is going on with youth, with people who are extremely vulnerable, with scientists, with journalists. There's so much that we can do to help those who are already beginning to suffer the emotional, the sanity or insane consequences of changing climate risks. Yeah, thank you very much for underlining how important it is to also have mental health and psychosocial support um, needs addressed um, after any emergencies and also in the preparatory phases and in noticing what's going on. And you mentioned youth, um, and I'm particularly concerned about youth because we do see a lot of young people who worry a lot. Um, I know that they, they worry because they, they are upset and angry that not enough is being done. We don't do the right things. We don't take action to care and, and to prevent climate change right now, which we should do. So what do you think could be done and how do you see, when it comes to climate anxiety, how do you see that young people are impacted? Um, you know, first of all, we have to acknowledge the brutality of what we're doing to the youth through our uh, creation of climate change and our lack of sufficient effort to address the consequences of climate change. There is one cartoon that I think is phenomenally powerful that illustrates this point. There is a, a, a coastal scene, a beach, a, a beautiful house on the beach with a nice terrace. Father has the hand on the shoulder of the son points to the beach and the horizon and the house and says, son, one day all this will be yours and underwater. We are knowingly bestowing on the new generation essentially a, a ticking bomb. And they know it and they notice that from their perspective, the world doesn't care. The world doesn't care that we're burning the planet, as we've been seeing in these past few months. It's predictably getting worse and worse, and it's their future. I, I, one of our colleagues just had a baby. Baby born in 2021, if she lives a normal life expectancy, she will be alive in the 22nd century. She will be alive and talking to her grandchildren after the year 2100. Of course, youth is furious, is depressed, is scratching their heads wondering what to do. And I am of the opinion that we humanitarians not only can but must find ways to help them harness their fury, their concern, their caring, so that instead of becoming paralysis, it becomes motivation for better, smarter, more empathic action. It's hard, mm. but we have to try. And, and one of the things that you use that I've noticed, and you just did it with us, you just gave us an example of a cartoon that you've um, had made, is that you use humor in the work. Could you explain a bit about um, how and why you decided to begin using so much humor, collaborate with artists and cartoonists? Sure. There, there are two main angles to this. One is that I have always found humor perplexing. As a researcher at heart, when, when laughter would happen, I wouldn't fully understand why, what's going on. It was mysterious. And it was very effective. Anything from presidential debates to family discussions about whether or not to 
cook this or that, humor usually could be used as a tactical tool to sway opinion of others in one direction or the other, to make people notice, to make people resonate, to make people experience the possibility of someone else having a different opinion. Uh, Humor is a remarkably powerful tool that we humanitarians have been underutilizing. An additional aspect is that, you know, if you are informed and if you're a sensitive human being, your only possibility is to feel very scared or very depressed or very doomed from time to time, if not frequently. And I have been experiencing that. I have been for the first time in my life. Now, I think of myself as a relatively jolly, happy, you know, sunshine kind of person. And guess what? I was confronting too many instances of darkness where I I didn't know what to do, but I knew that it was getting bad and worse. So I found myself seeking the experience of humor to relift me, to bring me up, to bring my levels of energy, of engagement, of awareness. Of, of connection. So we were very fortunate that we found ways to connect with professional humorists, especially cartoonists. These are folks who, who understand the science and the art behind humor. And uh, they have been fantastic in helping us communicate better, in helping us understand issues better, and very importantly, in helping, helping us notice uh, what could be called the elephants in the room, the things that are there or people choose to not look at. And this can be either you know, the science of what's happening in coastal areas with people about to go underwater in their lifetime, or um, the, the fact that uh, global climate change uh, framework conventions and you know negotiations and the like seem to be intentionally designed for fruitlessness because it's so full of animosity and contradiction that nothing happens. Humor helps us notice the contradiction. Humor helps us notice the absurdity. And humor helps us laugh the truth into people and elicit the truth out of people so that there can be more candor, more connection and more appetite for working together. Mm, that's very thought. That's very you know food for thought. And and you mentioned collaboration because you collaborate with with these different artists and and to have their perspective on how we can mobilize ourselves and um, not be so depressed and and upset about what's happening. And I wonder how do you see we. And when I say we, I mean the MHPSS community and those taking such the lead in climate change, um, like the, the center. How can we work better together? What should we do? Uh, well, first of all, let's continue to have these conversations. For anyone listening, please visit climatecenter.org, center spelled the British way, and uh find uh, my contact or anyone else and say, hey, this is what we're trying to do and we'd like to see how climate connects or how we can do something with humor, etc. Conversations lead to action. Uh, There are several practical things that can happen. One is to analyze how the work of your mental health and psychosocial support colleagues uh, relates to climate. 
how is the burden changing because of a changing climate, because of changing geopolitics, because of changing risks. At the same time, how how can not only the service you give to others, but the caring for self be enriched by some of the innovations that we have found? It's not only working with professional humorists, which is awesome, but also we have worked with designers, we have worked with game developers, we have worked with artists, we have worked with machine learning experts. And there are so many things that we imagine that if we work together, we can help you help others in creative ways that are just more effective. Uh, it works. In the specific case of humor, one of the things that we, we have been exploring quite successfully uh, has been what we call cartoonathons. A cartoonathon is like a, a hackathon, you know, those marathonic meetings where uh, mm. computer geeks get together with people who confront a problem and they spend an intense time and they, they come up with some kind of tech solution. Here, instead of having computer geeks, we have professional humorists. And we work with others, such as your colleagues, to create cartoons that can help accomplish what you need to accomplish. Indeed, I'm happy to report that our very first cartoonathon, held over a year ago, was about climate grief. Mm. And we have experts, we have a, a young activist, we have a psychology uh, professor, and we have a humanitarian worker talking about how climate is creating this grief, this darkness, and what could be done about it. And four cartoonists were listening in real time, and in real time they created draft cartoons that were offered to the participants, and we're talking hundreds of participants, both online and face-to-face, -face, just before the pandemic. And then participants gave feedback on the cartoon, how could it be improved so it's better? So, for example, one of the cartoons had the typical scene of a psychologist and uh, a person on the couch, and the person on the couch seemed distressed, and the psychologist looked uh, kind of uh, angry and saying, enough about the climate. Tell me about your mother. I remember having seen it. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> and I love that because it, it shows that we need to revisit our, our practices, our conventions. There was a time when psychologists found that mothers were responsible for a lot of suffering in the world <laughs> at the psychosocial level. You're that right. may continue to be true for some people, but the climate is now a contributing factor and professional psychosocial mental health practitioners don't know what to do with it. So we can help you. Uh, explore this territory that can help you and uh, your community find ways to elicit difficult truths, find ways to relate to challenging, changing circumstances, and create uh, opportunities for conversation that are more productive. And because they are fun, they are functional. People mm. connect better. Right, that's really good. And I'm very happy that you're encouraging our listeners to reach out and to be inspired by the work that you're doing and to collaborate with others around the world on what we can do to promote taking um, a very active stand and, 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 and beginning to, to work more productively towards um, creating more resilient communities, more resilient climate, and more resilient people who will be, live through, who will be living in this changed climate because that is definitely going to be needed, right? Absolutely. So, Pablo, do you have any resources that we could link to from that podcast that may be of interest to the MHPSS community? 
Yes, of course. The, the, the first one I would recommend is the one that you kindly agreed to co-author with us uh, about climate darkness and uh, how to pursue illumination. Uh, the link is available in the, in the website uh, that hosts this podcast. There was also, a, I thought, a very interesting, very heartwarming session uh, that included uh, us plus others, uh, delightful collaborators like Peter Jin Hong. Um, that was in the context of a World Bank conference called Understanding Risk. And the link is also available uh, in this website. And uh, it shows unconventional modalities of engagement, even in the context of virtual events, how humor and art and reflection can, can work together with science and with humanitarian work to accomplish different, better results. Thank you, Pablo. That was um, inspiring, as always, to hear you talk. Thank you, and uh, looking forward to much more explorations. Exactly. To do awesome things together. We should yeah. do that. You've been listening to The Heartbeat of Humanity, a podcast series for Red Cross, Red Crescent movement staff and volunteers about mental health and psychosocial support. In this episode, we've been talking about climate change and mental health. You can find more resources about mental health and psychosocial support on our website. And resources include manuals, webinars, policy documents, program materials, educational videos, and information about upcoming trainings. My name is Ia Susana Kasha, and I hope you enjoyed listening to this Heartbeat of Humanity podcast. Remember, mental health matters.